Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrew and I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing what it is that election outcomes tell you. So, Peter, if you can lead us in um, and put this into context for us, there have been a number of high-profile elections recently. Um, off you go. So the most significant election in recent times was the Richmond Park by-election, uh, where Zach Goldsmith, standing as an independent, having previously won as a conservative, he resigned over the ex- expansion of Heathrow Airport, uh, lost his seat to the Liberal Democrat MP Sarah Olney, a um, uh, huge election, uh, far outshadows the U.S. election clearly. Uh, the uh, and what what we found interesting was that uh, people seize on electoral results to mean different things. So Tim Farron, uh, uh, following the result, um, said, "Quotes the the message is clear: the Liberal Democrats are back." Uh, while other people were seizing on it as a proxy for uh, objection over Brexit. Um, in in Italy, there was an election this week as well uh, with, for constitutional reforms, and both par- all parties were claiming it meant something different. With people saying it just meant the constitution, others saying it's a proxy for confidence in the prime minister, etc. So, what does an election result actually tell you uh, about people's opinion? Do we want to try and answer that yet, or just develop a little further? Well, I think we should develop. I mean, there's an interesting idea we can get out of the way. Um, so it, it, the the Richmond Park election, um, the constituency is around 77,000 people, uh, of which um, 20,000 people voted for um, for Sarah Olney. Uh, so there's a turnout of... So that that's less than 27% of people voted for this person. So she's, she's less than a third of the population care about what she has to say uh, so less than a third of people actually support what she says so so if, if if she had a very specific message about what she was going to do how much of a mandate do you get from less than a third of the population in, in an area um arguably very small i mean you want you'd want 100 percent of people to turn out and give you a very clear um majority on a on a, any given issue but well, let's cut through this. So, tell I mean, do you have a view on this? Do you do you, what do you think the mandate was in this in this example? Well, I think it's very difficult to tell because the 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 the, the um, manifestos that people project are often very diffuse and not specific. Otherwise, they they, they fail to appeal to the mass. So they will they they will they will um, avoid being specific about issues and, and skirt around things and say oh yes it's very important and discuss how important something is but not actually address what they would do about something okay well look, no let's put it another way um so i'm still craving for certainty um so if what is it the twenty thousand people it's not the same people but um i think look <clears throat> let's start from first principles here the only mandate she has is to serve as a member of parliament for Richmond Park. That's it, right? There's everything else is is certainly is not part of her brief. 
it's not like there's some confusion. There isn't a contractual relationship that she's being entered into with the with the with her constituents. You know, if you're an MP, you uh, the only thing you have to do is represent your constituents in Parliament, and that's it. There's, you're not there to do anything. You're, you're not under any obligation at all. I mean, you can get you, you can walk in through the doors of, uh, uh, you know, the the um, Palace of Westminster, and uh, decide you're going to pursue your own completely mad agenda if you want. And some MPs do do that. You know, there's no, there's no nothing. You're not bound by anything. So, I, I actually, I suppose, I want to ask the question of what actually does this mean? What do we mean by you've got a mandate to do something? I mean, I feel like it, it might be easy to answer the question if we can answer that question. Well, do you have an answer? I don't really. I, I wonder if actually it's not a very helpful idea. I think I think that there's an expectation though that the people who voted for her will have voted for her part, partly on reput on on personality, uh, but also because she's promising to do things that they want done in the in in their constituency. Yeah, I mean, so I, there I, is a sort of there is a there, although there is no. She has no obligation to do any of those things. There is an expectation to do so. And should she not do any of these things, she will likely make herself herself very unpopular with her, vote, her, her voter base and therefore not get re-elected. But also what we're looking here, aren't we trying to analyse uh, or, or search for the meaning in a shift? There seems to have been a shift in behaviour where someone who was voted in, um, uh, was it in 2015? Um, with a majority of 20,000 people, which is a large majority mm. in the UK, um, suddenly that majority has been swept away and someone else um, has, has got the seat. So I think, you know, you can say, one, there's been a change, and I think it's natural to ask, well, why has there... Before we start going into, the, 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 you know, first principles and what it means in a parliamentary democracy, I think, objectively, there's been a change here. Why has there been a change? Yeah, and so just to... Let's elaborate on the story here, what the debate is. Zach Goldsmith... Um, charming chap, by the way. Um, well, he is a very personal man. Actually, he's quite charming, actually. He's a very personal man. Um, it was... Uh, he, he did he resigned from the Conservative Party because they supported expansion of Heathrow. And Heathrow, is, it, which is a very big airport, uh, is quite close to the constituency. So sort of on behalf of his constituents, uh, he objected to the um, decision to expand Heathrow Airport by resigning. Um, and... The expectation was perhaps, you know, that the locals would thank him for it by by voting for him. But what he also did was uh, join the the Brexit camp during the referendum campaign. So he, he sort of, uh, I, I suppose, to, to lots of people's surprise, the area he represents is a very strongly remain, one of the strong, strongest remain areas in, in Britain, in fact. So there were these two interesting forces. Then at the same time, you, you have all this uh, background stuff like the the fact that the Lib Dems, the Liberal Democrats who, um, you know, who won, Sarah Olney was a Liberal Democrat, uh, did very, very badly in the last election. Um, so, you know, the question is, is there some kind of rebound effect? Or, uh, you know, have people realised that the Lib Dems are brilliant? Or is Sarah Olney, in fact, just a person who isn't Zach Goldsmith and is picking up votes for that reason? Um, so there's, that's, that's sort of what, how the debate is going. You know, what's, what's driving this, this change? There's a lot of stories, competing stories. And, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't know which of those stories was going to win until the, until the by-election happened. OK, so look, going back to our original question, this week we're discussing what it is that election outcomes tell you. OK, so um, is the answer we don't know? Or there are so many different things going on, we don't know? Or a third option is 
this is what it tells you. So I think the well, I think the I think they don't tell you very much at all. I mean, they they because it's a single, uh, often a binary decision. It's candidate A or candidate B. It's sort of one bit of information, which is a pro. It's, trying to be a proxy for all sorts of opinion so you're you're you, you can't really infer much about what people think about any given issue because there are so many issues at play all contradicting and and and, and balancing off against each other with any one um uh with any with any other issues with any given election so really i mean it, it, the best thing you could probably tell you is how much those people in that area like that person so um hopefully the uh Hopefully the personality is providing a useful proxy for how good they're going to well, be. Well, not even, job. because the thing is that in most elections, um, it doesn't, it's not really the person, is it? It's actually the party that people are voting for. Um, so so e- it's not even really necessarily anything to do with the personality. In by-elections, it does tend to be a bit more uh, about the personality because because people focus on them more. So just for people not familiar with the UK, when, when, a, when, a, when an MP... Um, vacates a, a seat you know you have to have this little election in their area um, so yeah I mean it, it, and then of course there's also the the possibility of it being a protest vote so if it's an anti-Zach Goldsmith vote it's got nothing to do with her whatsoever the only her only real advantage was not being Zach Goldsmith and I, you know I've, I'm also not Zach Goldsmith so I'm as qualified as she is hmm. But hold on, you said that it, we can't tell what, um, why the outcome is what it is. But as we've spoken about before, famously, you can't trust what people say in opinion polls. Um, however, I think we said that um, exit polls are, are much more uh, accurate. And so isn't it the case that you could just ask the people who have just voted um, if, they are, if these are more accurate and say, well, why did you vote? Ask the people why, and they might give you a good reason, or even, or is that, or is that, or you're not getting the, you're not getting the qualitative nature, you're only getting the quantitative nature. Yeah, but I, I'm not sure, I mean, the, the model here is, is, is as though everyone has exactly one force acting on them, and it's pushed them in a certain direction. To me, it's more like, you know, let's, you, let's say your, your car, uh, you know, packs up while you're going up a hill because you've got you know loads of suitcases and a crate of wine and three children in the back why did it pack up was it the three children or the crate of wine or the suitcases well actually it's you know it's all of them it's not it's some combination of them that's the problem you know and and all we can say is that um people wanted sarah olney to be uh their mp more than more than they wanted zach goldsmith to be their mp why? Why? What are we? What are we? What are we trying to answer here? Well, I think uh, we're, try, we're trying to address why people read things into it. So, why did Tim Farron say, "Oh, well, this means the Lib Dems are back"? Because he's a Lib, he's the leader of the Lib Dems, and he wants to pretend that they're back. I know. So, and, so what, what I think what, the, what we're suggesting is you shouldn't really, when people interpret a result for their given for any given aim. Uh, it, it doesn't. That doesn't carry any information in that particular. Well, it, at it, all. no, but it, I mean, it, the thing is, it does. So the, this issue of um, mute, sort of mutual information. So in technical terms, how much information uh, this gives you with respect to some other thing. So let's let's what we let's let's say what we're really interested in is what's going to happen at the next general election when we're voting for the next uh, you know the next ruling party. Um, what we want to know is, does this election carry any information about that? Now, on a normal election night, you, get a, you do get a lot of information from individual results. 
So you might get, you might get, uh, you know, discover that actually there's been a surprise uh, 5% swing towards Labour in Sunderland. And you can make some inference that perhaps that means there'll be a there'll be a swing towards Labour in you know in Cornwall somewhere a long way away, and and that's actually you know one of the core tools for election night forecasting is looking at what the swing has been in any given place. Mm. So you know here we've got some evidence um, that there's that there's been a swing towards the Lib Dems, um, but we you, you know actually. It, it's also potentially explained by lots of other things that are to no, do with Richmond on. and the personalities. No, so, I just, I just... so, so we've got, you know, the, the, I suppose, you know, Tim Farron is not totally unjustified in saying this is evidence. What is evidence for is that people will, under some circumstances, vote Lib Dem, which, you know, has got to be considered uh, a positive because not many of them did last okay, time. Okay, so. but listen, Nick, so you're, you're, you're saying that there's all these different... First of all, why, do, why are people so interested in why something went a certain way? Why do we ask the, that, that question? I think it's just a, a normal n- human reaction. We want to explain stuff, okay? Yeah, but so ultimately because we think it'll help us understand something else or predict something. No. That's the va- that no. is the value. That might of be the value, to... but... Yeah. Uh, okay, that could be value. I just think it's normal to ask why something happened, simple as that. Yeah, but ultimately the reason that's normal is because we believe it might allow us to predict something else. No, I don't think so. I think if you're an analyst, you might feel that. But if you're just some bloke on the Clapham Omnibus, you know... No, but what I'm saying is that the reason why. we've evolved the urge to understand systems is because we can we can predict them and, and therefore gain advantage from doing that. That's not a controversial claim. Well, we I haven't think... just evolved, you know, we haven't evolved the desire to understand things just for fun. That would be a waste of resources. But I think, okay, I think you're overcomplicating it. But... I, feel like, I feel like I'm simplifying it. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, actually, although you say we can't really tell and there's so many different things going on here, we can't really say. I think in your heart of hearts, you have a theory or, you know, when you, when you are sort of there shaving your face in the mirror going, why did Zach Goldsmith lose this election? Um, I'm sure you have an idea. I think, I bet you have a, a theory. I, I bet you have an answer as to why you think this happened. It's a bit like saying, what, you know, why did I decide to have um, the, why did, why did I decide to have the, the chicken for lunch yesterday, you know, at a restaurant? It, it's like, that to me, it's the same sort of question. So if I, I, hold I mean, a... I, and I, I wouldn't, I'm not really sure, you know, there's a really sort of satisfying way of answering that, which says, oh, he is the reason. He's the one reason why you chose chicken. No, it's not the same. Because <laughs> if, look, to put it another way, if I held a gun to your head and said, right, tell me the reason, and it better be convincing why you think Zach Goldsmith uh, lost this election, you would give me a good answer, I think. Because more people voted for Sarah Olney no, than no, Zach no, Goldsmith. No, 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 You're being disingenuous. Um, you're being like Zach Goldsmith. Don't be disingenuous to phrase when he's holding a gun. No, <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> no, look, okay, so I think this was a, pre- a Brexit, Brexit protest vote. That's what I think happened. Okay, I mean, yes. <laughs> the thing is that, okay, let's, let's just, I think there's, uh, it's almost certainly going to be part, part, or perhaps a large part of the reasoning of, the lot of, of a lot of people who voted. Uh, it's an anti, well, an anti, an anti Brexit being expressed as an anti Zach Goldsmith vote. Now, you know, the the only way we can settle that, the extent to which that's a, that's an issue, is by looking at and seeing uh, whether or not you know voters in a general election will will shift according to the you know which side of the debate their their MP was, you know, their incumbent. Um, so there are there are ways we could sort of test how much of an effect that is, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. Know. I just feel. I, I just feel sort of unsatisfied by. I. I just think you're overanalyzing this. 
Or, or no, I think you think I'm under-analyzing it. No, I don't. I think you think I should be pulling out some really strong stories here. No, I just think you should be more like me. I don't know. But, um, okay, so look, we've got about five minutes to go. Um, Peter, do you want to chip in with something? Well, I, well what, I think it'd be nice to explore what alternatives there are to... What, what other ways can we do voting that tell us more, that give us more information about what people actually want and what they care about? So... They are an incredibly blunt tool. Um, it's one shot every four years, say, in a constituency to, to just make a decision where you canvass everyone's opinion equally and everyone has a, a, the, an equal say. So in that way, it's incredibly fair, but it's incredibly low bandwidth. So one bit every four years, that's pretty low rate of information. Now, obviously, the government uses other ways to canvass information about what people want in terms of informing policies, what the, uh, to inform what the policy, how to... A, how to spend money in in an area but you know the in in this the internet age that we're we're in um sure there's there are alternatives to the paper ballot um that would allow you to make more fine-grained decisions about particular things that uh the any ruling body doesn't feel that they're uh that feels they want to devolve the 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 decision to the people so why 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 don't we have more uh, internet voting and why why do you not have a voting app on your phone that that every five minutes asks you a question to make a decision yeah for... i think i can i think there are there are ways to think about why why that wouldn't necessarily be a good idea um with an mp by and large it's cost neutral which mp wins you know there's actually there's no other trade-off you need to make you're going to send one person to parliament um the problem with uh you know real life policy if we're getting people to vote on real life policy is that there's always going to be it's going to involve making some sort of trade-off you know if you ask people do you want to have you know do you want to do you want to have three more hospitals they're always going to say yeah it's always hospitals isn't it but yeah they're always going to say yes we want more hospitals you know no doubt some people were persuaded by the uh by the leave vote effectively saying we're going to have more hospitals if we leave the eu uh but the point is that you know everyone's going to say yes to things like that uh but but you know how how are you going to express the cost what is the trade-off that they're being asked to make well, I think that's there isn't it's... well there isn't really a way of doing that well that's the way you ask the question i mean you can elicit people's opinion about things by asking other questions questions other than yes or no yeah but that, but then this is now i mean what i suppose where i'm going is that once you go down that road you actually have to collect an enormous amount of uh, data about their preferences not just you want this hospital but, you know, actually, do you want this hospital and do you want taxes to go up? Or do you want this hospital and do you want yeah, us to cut so, police funding? And, you know, there's billions of things you have to find out. Um, and, and I'm not saying it's impossible. I mean, in theory, that would make things more efficient. But the cost of the data collection would would start to become quite prohibitive. Let's put this in another way. Yes, this is useful to the electric. Is this useful to a politician? Absolutely. I think it gives them gives them evidence they can ask their they can get asked their electorate fine-grained questions about what their how, what is important to them and that's the provides them the evidence base for how hard that they work on particular issues in parliament uh, as their as their representative and which policies that they should um, challenge and which support policies they should support which best fit the the needs of their constituency so it, it's it's helps it gives them evidence to 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 support things but it also gives you uh, all the data that you need to formulate better policies to support your constituency okay i think that's a good answer um anything else you want to come in here i i 
obviously support gathering data about what people's preferences are if we can think of a way of doing that and it's not a, by any means an easy question it's a very very difficult question how you how you find out what people really want um but you know certainly the, the whole point of all of policy ultimately is to reflect people's preferences in some kind of allocation of national resources um you know that's why we have governments uh, to collectively coordinate and make society uh, run slightly more towards how we'd like it to run uh, what i'm not necessarily comfortable with because i don't think there's any evidence this would make things any better is collecting people's views about what we ought to actually do how those resources ought to be allocated so that's quite a different thing you know because because i wouldn't expect people to know it's a bit like you know if i, I i'm if, if someone asked me what if a carpenter said you know tell me about this table you want me to build and i said oh i, re- I want it to be kind of reasonably sized and i quite like mahogany um and you know i i don't really want to spend more than a thousand pounds that's one thing but if he said how do you want me to fix this leg onto that uh onto that bit of wood i'd say well that's your job and i think you know i don't i don't think we should be asking uh the electorate how to build the table well it's perfect it makes perfect sense to me to ask what kind of table they want but but it's the government's job to work out how to build that table and and that's quite a big difference and if you look at something like um you know the 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 brexit votes uh, that's that's really about you know i mean it's it's sort of partly about um what kind of table we want but but also there's quite a lot of you know how are we going to build it as well in there getting getting your data from electorate in a similar way that you do in the polls where so you've got high high um accuracy of you know and it's very little fraud etc etc so you one vote one person and you can guarantee that the votes generally unless there's a bit of miscounting but you can generally assume that the number of votes implies something um if you could do that on a more fine-grained level with more lots of other issues then it 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 provides more accountability to politicians because if if there's a vote and they say well what, which is more important healthcare, care etc etc and you, you get lots of data back and then that data is essentially ignored when they then make a decision then you've got recourse to say well we're not definitely not going to vote for you the next time because you didn't you didn't listen to anything that anybody said okay but the answer might be what they said was a load of incoherent idiotic nonsense that would never work in practice that that's that's my problem well that's but, but, I, but, that, but i'm i'm presupposing that there is a way of designing questions that gives you meaningful data i think i think the only way you can do that is to think of a way that people actually have to sacrifice resources and and that's this is the really the fundamental problem of public policy uh is that you know costs uh, have to be shared across the population and benefits tend to be fairly concentrated and so you're always going to end up with this problem where you know we, we um uh, I mean, I, I'd like to be able to say, well, I'd like everyone to pay a bit more tax so I can have a better health service. But, you know, people who are people who are really unhealthy are bound to say something like that. People who are really healthy might might want, you know, to pay less tax. But the one is that they're not the one if they're not the one personally bearing the cost of this new uh, policy, then we're always going to end up with these strategic uh, inefficiencies. Um, but I think to be honest, OK, I mean, to wrap up, I think Sarah Olney has a very easy mandate. Because all she's got to do is carry on not being Zach Goldsmith for four years. And hey, presto, it's a tick in the box. There we go. Nice. Um, look, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up there. But um, before we do, as we were talking, or as I, was, I have developed a new adjective, um, or I've invented a new adjective, and the adjective is coghillion. 
Mm. Okay? And, and, and what it means is, is um, it's the use of, basically it's technology as the answer. Yeah. Yeah, a blind faith in technology to, 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 to improve the lot of man. Congratulations, by the way, yeah, Peter. Thank you. Yeah. Got, there we go. Um, it's like having a star named after you. Um, well, I, I, I think, you know, the fact that um, actually Chris and I use, use uh, you know, the, the term cochlean to mean more or less exactly that suggests that we've tapped into something. I thought I'd invented something there. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Um, Independently invented. Yes. yes thank good. you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, gentlemen, uh, thank you very much. Um, I'm Fraser McGrewer. I've been here with Peter Coghill and Nick Hare. Um, you've been listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. Um, thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye. Mm-hmm.